0: Alright everyone, get your Bible open to Jeremiah chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to be there in just a little bit. I was a pastor at West Burlington United Methodist Church before coming to Bloomfield. And at West Burlington Methodist, there was an elderly lady, her name was Darlene. And Darlene, uh, during the course of the time that I was there, she had a uh, grandchild, it was a beautiful baby girl. And that little girl was named Abby. Now, Darlene just loved... Uh, Abby. And and Abby was actually named after Darlene. I I believe it was a middle name that they used. And so she just loved seeing this little baby girl. It was just like so much joy uh, that was brought to her life. And she would talk to me every single week and she'd say, you know, Abby's doing this now. And Abby's, you know, just starting to smile and she's starting to roll over. And and, and then one day I, I get a call from Darlene just out of the blue. And she's sobbing on the phone and she said, Abby died. Abby died last night in her sleep. It was sudden infant death syndrome. No one could see it coming. There was no reason why it happened. It just happened. And and I said, I am so sorry, Darlene. Can I come to the funeral? And she said, yes, I'll be there. And I, I went to the funeral, and I wasn't expecting it, but it was an open casket. And I don't know if you've been to a funeral of an open casket for an infant, but it is incredibly gut-wrenching. First of all, the, the casket is just, just a tiny box, it's no more than you know two feet or so. It's, it's just this tiny little thing. And, and the baby, little Abby, she, she looked like she was asleep. She just looked like she was asleep like any baby in their crib. And I saw her, and I couldn't say anything, and I went and I sat down. And as soon as my bottom hit the chair, I just started to weep uncontrollably. I I couldn't hold it in. Uh, uh, It's the only time in my life where I I just, I could not stop. You know, I think what made it so real for me was because my little girl was a, a year old. And I I remember her being that small. It broke my heart. You know, as we go through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is actually called the weeping prophet. He, He weeps not because he's weak. He weeps because he knows what the people need to do. And he knows how far away they are from doing it. He knows that the people are living apart from God, and that it's not going to end well for him. But there's so much chance, there's so much opportunity, if only they would just repent. But he weeps. There's a simple truth here that we can apply to our life, and it's also the main idea of this whole sermon today. And It's this, what breaks God's heart should break ours. What breaks God's heart should break ours. So if you have your Bible, get it open to Jeremiah chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to kind of jump through a little bit, but uh, I'll announce what scripture we're on. So it reads, uh, verse 5, Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. I, uh, none of them have repented of their wickedness, saying, what, I, what have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even a stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the, th- the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise? For we have the law of the Lord." When actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismissed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to to new owners. From the least to the greatest, they are all greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken away. Skip down to verse 20. It says, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound my people? Chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, that I might have the desert, uh, the desert lo- a lodging place for travelers, so that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a crowd of unfaithful people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we know that your word transforms us and we ask for that, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit will open us up to this word today, that we will become disciples of you, that we will know you at a deeper level. Lord, we ask that you will pl- bless this time and bless this preacher. Pray this in your holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jeremiah's heart was broken because the people of God were out of relationship with God. They were doing what was wrong. And he knew that there was impending doom that would fall upon them his heart was broken because he knew that god yearned for his people to return but it was just not happening and so today i want to give you some things that break god's heart and really they should break our heart as well there's four things that should break our heart that we find in the scripture today and number one is this it should break our hearts when people refuse to repent, it should break our heart when people refuse to repent. So what is repentance? It's a turning away from the bad things that you do in life. Listen to verse five. it says, "Why then have pe- these people not, uh, tur- why have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit? They refuse to return? So Jeremiah is basically say, saying they have all this opportunity to see the, the things that they're doing in life that do not match up to God's will. And, and they, they know, they have all the knowledge why they should not be doing these things, but they continue to worship false gods. They, they continue to do things that are morally and ethically um, uh, evil. They continue to go on this path, and, and they're flaunting their sin they don't really care that they're doing it nothing has changed jeremiah has given this them this message over and over and even prophets before jeremiah have given them this message they have the word of god and they choose not to do anything with it but here's what i do know as humanity we have a hard time admitting that we're wrong and and i looked into this i'm like why why is it that we have a hard time admitting that we're wrong now, psychologists have actually studied this, and they said, you know, the reason why it's hard for us to admit that we're wrong is because oftentimes we see our actions and our identity as is, uh, the same thing. We, don't, we cannot separate it. For example, if, if I got a divorce, I might think to myself, the divorce is bad, but I'm also a bad person because I'm a divorcee now. Or if I'm an addict, I might think addiction is bad, And that makes me a bad person because I'm an addict. Or maybe I had an abortion, and so I say, abortion is bad. And that makes me a bad person because I had an abortion. And then there is so much shame because one bad action changes who you are at the very core. It changes your identity. No longer are you seeing yourself as a decent human being. You are that bad person who got a divorce. You are that bad person who is addicted. Do you see what I'm getting at here? But the Bible says this, that your actions do not define you. Your sin does not define you. In fact, the Bible is, is pretty gracious here. It says if you would just return from your sins, if you just turn away from them and follow Jesus Christ, you have a new life and a new definition, a new identity in Christ. See, repentance is good. It's, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing for our identity. But So often we think, oh man, if, if I admit that I'm wrong, if I, if I admit that I have failings in my life, then people are going to look down on me. But here's the honest to God truth. The more and more I study leadership, which I, I read about one leadership book a month, every single author I've ever read has said this, that people respect you when you admit that you fail. Honesty, integrity, and self-confidence comes with admitting failure. And so one of the questions I have for you is, do you need to repent? Is there something in your life that you're holding back on, or maybe it's this deep-seated, dark uh, uh, sin that you have in the past that continues to define who you are, and you think, I'm a bad person because I did this seven years ago, or I had this happen to me you know, 20 years ago, and, and I see myself as a bad person because of it. See, Jeremiah, he wept because people did not turn from their sins. And it should break our hearts when people refuse to repent. But we're not helpless in this situation. We as Christians, as followers of God, we can do something. Number one, we can teach and preach forgiveness. We can talk about people's lives that have been turned around by simply repenting, going one direction down a bad road, and then saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done with that way. I'm going to turn toward God, and we see a huge transformation in their life. Those are stories that we can tell other people, and that actually might be your story. That's why testimonies are so powerful, because it's showing people that transformation does occur that you don't have to be defined by your past. And, and that's what people need. They desperately need a new beginning in life because their shame and their guilt is weighing them down. We can teach people that it's, it's strong, it, it, their strength and weakness, that just because you fail doesn't mean that you're a failure for life. If you fail, you pick yourself up, you learn from it, and you continue to go down the right path. We can also teach people that repentance is the quickest way to transformation. You know, I don't know anybody who, who wants to say the same way that they are right now. Most of us, we want to continue to grow in life. We want to continue to get better. And if you want to get better, you admit your failings. You admit the things that you've done wrong. You admit your sins, and you say, you know what, that's not taking me down the path toward becoming a better human being. I want to become a better human being. I'm going to admit my faults. I'm going to learn from them, and I'm going to turn and go a different way. So the first thing that breaks God's heart is this, when we don't repent. The second thing that breaks God's heart is this, it's when we reject the word of God, or more correctly, when the people of God reject God's word. Listen to this. It says, "But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord." All right. So my my wife decided she wanted to get a spin bike. We we are avid um, people in the gym. We we have a little home gym in our house, and uh, we we got a treadmill about a, a year and a half ago, and um, we actually wore our, our other treadmill out. So we we actually used our gym equipment. All right. And she's like, you know, I I have kind of bad knees, so I want something that's going to be easier on my knees. And so she's like doing her research, and she says, Tim, I think I'm going to get a spin bike, all right, let's do it, let's get a spin bike, all right, or spinning bike, I think that's what you call it. Now, we got the, the spinning bike in the mail, and it came in this big old package, and she starts taking all these pieces out, and, and it really looks like, you know, one of those packages from Ikea, the things that you, you have a part here and a part here, and you're really not quite sure what it looks like and how, how it goes together. All right, so she's putting all these things together, and, and I thought to myself this, what would it look like if she just had the, the picture of what the finished bike looks like, and she has all these different pieces, and she just went from that picture and said, okay, this is what I need to do. It would have been practically impossible to put this bike together in that way. See, there's something called instructions, And the instructions give you a detailed plan, a detailed method on how to put this thing together. Now, think about this in terms of the Christian walk with God. I can look at a mature Christian and I can say, that's what I want to be like. I can look at somebody with with grace and kindness and gentleness, who's humble, who's a servant leader, and say, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of Christian, and I can say, okay, that's my image, that's my model that I'm going for, and I have all these little pieces. Let's just put them together to make it look like that. That doesn't work. It's sort of like the spin bike. I can't look at the package and say, okay, this piece goes here by this. No, it doesn't work. See, we don't often see the steps involved when we look at a fully mature Christian, but I guarantee you it did not happen overnight. When you see the end product, when you see a person who, who loves Jesus Christ and loves other people, what you do not see is this. You don't see the countless hours in the Word, the countless hours studying the Bible and, and being in small groups and, and attending worship. And, and you don't see that the times in which they almost lost their faith because their world fell apart, but they trusted in God throughout the whole time. You don't see the times in which they're obedient, even in the most difficult situations in their life. You don't see all those processes. You just see the end picture. And so often we say, that's what I want. That's what I want to be in my life. But you know what? We need need to put the time in. We, we need to be people of the Word of God. We need to know the instructions on how we are to live. The Bible should be a constant companion with us. You know, there's a famous coach, and he was talking to a, a group of, of uh, other coaches, and he's talking about, you know, how do you, how do you help out athletes to reach their full potential? And he starts talking about what it takes for an athlete to reach their full potential. And, you know, he gives the the common things that we think about. Genetics, right? Uh, Talent and skill and, and things like that. But he said, you know what really separates the good athletes from the great ones? It's this. It's boredom. Who can endure the most boredom? And whoever can endure the most boredom, typically they are the best. Why is that? Because when you look at an athlete, they've, they probably have l- done the same lifting set a thousand times before. Uh, when you look at a, a, a batter, and they're going up, and they're about ready to swing, they have swung that bat probably um, 50,000 times in their life or more. You know, they're, they're doing drills. They're doing things constantly, every single time, and they're doing it repetitive so that way it gets in their working memory so that they can just do it automatically. They don't even have to think about it. It's enduring the boredom, but it makes them the best. And that's the same thing with regard to God's Word. Now, I'm not saying God's Word is boring, but I can tell you this it's hard. Right now, I'm in the, the book of Leviticus. I'm doing a, a daily Bible reading, and I read about three or four chapters every single day. And Leviticus is hard. I think this morning I read about um, what you do if you have a, a boil on your face or a, um, uh, a white sore. Um, I bet you didn't know this, but you're supposed to look and see if there's a yellow hair that pops out of it. And if you have a yellow hair that pops out of that white spot in your, on your face, then you're outside of the camp for seven days. Right, Those are just the things that we learn in the Bible sometimes. And you're thinking, well, what does leprosy have to do with anything with my life? Well, that's not the point. The point is learning to love the Bible. Learning to be in the Bible and see it holistically. And what happens is, is when you become a Christian who reads the Bible, it becomes a part of your everyday life and you love the Word. You love being with other people who love the Word. You love talking about the Bible. You love going to a church that preaches the Bible. And this joy for the word becomes contagious. And so God's saying, you know what? My people don't read the word. They don't follow it. But here's what you can do. You can enjoy the boredom. You can endure it. You can learn to love the Word of God and be in it every single day. And that's one of the things that I've loved about this church over the last seven and a half years is that people here read the Word. And they they love the Word. And I see so many posts, Facebook posts, from people who get up um, early in the morning and they're they're reading the Word of God. I I just spoke to somebody this last week and they said, you know what, when I wake up, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I spend two hours Two hours in the Word. I'm, I'm doing a study here, and I'm doing a study here, and then I take time for prayer. And, and you know, all the stuff that's going on in my life, it's just blowing up. It's, it's sometimes more than I can endure. But that two hours is what centers me. It, it's what makes my life, it makes, makes it so I can live my life. We need to be people of the Word because it breaks God's heart when we call ourselves a Christian and we never open that thing up. Never open up the Bible. Number three is this, it should break our hearts that some will not be saved. It should break our hearts that some will not be saved. You know, Jeremiah wept because he saw the urgent need. He, he saw that Babylon was going to come. It was like a boiling pot that was about ready to spill onto to Israel. And he saw the need. And he, he says this, the harvest has passed, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. What does he mean here? Well, in ancient times, there was the the summer, and then there was the harvest. And in the summertime, you got fruit, all kinds of fruit from different trees. And and in the harvest time, you had the grain. Now, if you had a bad year in the summer, and the fruits were not producing, then at least you had the, um, the harvest where you had all this grain. But if one failed, then the other one would save you. But if both of them failed, you're really hurting. You, you might starve to death over the winter season. See, there's an, a sense of urgency here. There's a window of opportunity, and once that window is closed, if you don't go out and pick the fruit on the tree and, and um, preserve it, then you're not going to have enough food later on. If you don't go in the field and harvest it and just let it fall and rot, then it's, it's, it's not going to sustain you through the winter. And what the Bible is saying is this, that there is a harvest time with regards to human souls. That right now is the opportunity for us as Christians to go out into the mission field and teach and preach the the Word of God. To give people the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, just just show of hands here. How many of you have friends or or neighbors or family that if they died right now, they would die without a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Now, everybody's hand should be up because everybody that I know Um, of, like, I know so many people who, who don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it should break our hearts that they will not be saved. But we as Christians, we have an opportunity to save souls. You know, the gift of Jesus Christ is too great for us to hoard We are called to do the work in the fields, and part of that work is being in relationship with other people, showing them the light in our lives, being examples of it, and also giving testimonies of how God's changed our lives, of how we've turned away from our sins, uh, of how we've come to understand this new life that we have and how great it is. And, And people want that. They want a sense of purpose. They want meaning. They want something that they can cling to in the most difficult times in their life. We have a great opportunity. Number four is this: It should break our hearts when people self-destruct. It should break our hearts when people self-destruct. Verse twenty-one: It says, "Since my people are crushed, I'm crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me." You know, as a parent, um, when I see my children, and I, I see that you know somebody's messing with them on the playground, or or they keep getting picked on. Or, or they're struggling in a, a certain class. Or they're just really having a hard time with life. It hurts me. It, it crushes me. And I think that's the way that God is as well. When, when God sees God's children, which is us. And, and he sees that we're struggling. It crushes God. But what's worse is that when that struggle is from our own mistakes. And we continually make these mistakes day after day after day. You know, when we see people self-destruct, have you ever seen somebody self-destruct before? Basically, you, you see in their life all the choices that you're, they're making and you're like, don't do that. It's, it's just not smart. It's not going to end well. And they continue to go down that path over and over and over again. And, and you're like, no, just stop here. Turn from that path. It's not going to do any good for you. See, I see that a lot in, in my life, and and, it, and sometimes it's hard not to be judgmental because it's like, okay, you know, you're not going down the right road. But I, I think at the same time, it's it's hard because you know what? They're a child of God, and, and they're going down this path that's going to lead s- to so much heartache. You know, in particular for me, I, when I see people making financial decisions that are that are so You know that we know where they're going to end up. That's hard. When I see people taking out uh, lots of loans for things uh, and possessions and cars and homes and ATVs and four wheelers and all these different things, you know, and and they continue to spend more and more and more, and you know, like there's no way that they can afford all this stuff. It's hard for me because I I grew up in, in a family where you know there stuff like that happening where we, we would have people in our family who would continue to buy and buy and go in debt and debt and dent and, um, and you saw what what happened at the end stages of that and you know I was talking to a, a guy at the guard um, his civilian job he's a, a loan officer and, and I was like you know how do these people do it how, how can they afford it and he said wait they can't afford it there's no way that they can afford it but here's what they do they get a loan to pay the payments for another loan. And they continue to get more and more loans, take out more and more debt, and the cycle continues on. And so they spend their whole life trying to outrun the debt that they have. And I think that's so true in many different aspects of our lives. We we get caught in these self-perpetuating habits that are self-destructive. And rather than work to get ourselves out of them, we work to basically keep ourselves in them and perpetuate them. And Jeremiah saw this with the people of Israel. They, they worshiped false gods. And, and the more that they worshiped these false gods, the more they got into these false religions. And it just turned their hearts away from God. And so each generation was more corrupt than the last. And it continued to go and go and go until there was nothing good left. And Jeremiah wept because he saw the slippery slope that they were on. He saw the destruction that was waiting for them in the future. And, and he's like, you know what, there's still a chance. But they're so involved in that cycle of self-destruction that they just couldn't see what was going on. Now finally, Jeremiah wept because the people refused to cure. He wept because they refused to the cure. See, God would save them if they would just repent. They refused to turn to God's word. You know, have you ever seen a sick person or known of a sick person who uh, there's a treatment available for them, but they say, you know what? I'm just not going to take it. I'm going to just take whatever comes. It's like, but but there's this option that that could potentially save your life. Why not take it? Why not go through it? Yeah, it's going to be hard, but take the, the option. But they refuse it. I can't tell you how many marriages uh, that I've, I've seen where people come to me and they're like, you know what? Our marriage is falling apart. And like, have you gone through counseling? Well, yeah, we tried it once. Uh, have, you, have you talked to anybody about it? Have you, have you worked to make things better? No, I, I think we, we've tried all that. You know, we're just ready to be done. You know, Meredith, uh, she works with a lot of people with mental health issues. And one of the things that she sees time and time again is that um, people with mental health issues, they refuse to take their medicine. They don't see the need in taking their medicine because they feel fine without it. But once they start getting on these things, they get the right medication, they they have a a complete 180, and and they come back to a a great baseline, and, and they're functional human beings. But then when they get out of the hospital, they stop taking it because they feel fine. They don't need it anymore, they think. We have so many people in life who refuse the cure. They're they're happy with that self-destructive path, but there is a cure. But here's the thing. Time is running out. And and salvation is at stake. And, And the Word tells us that not everyone wants to be rescued. Not everyone wants to be saved. Not everyone wants a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what breaks God's heart should break our heart. You know, it should break our hearts that people refuse to repent. It should break our heart that people reject the word of God. It should break our heart that some people do not want to be saved. It should break our heart when we see people who are self-destructing. It should break our heart when people refuse the cure. But we're not helpless. We can become the transformation that we want to see. And what I mean by this is when we start living the life that Jesus Christ wants us to live, when we start uh, reading our word, the Word of God every single day, when we start treating people with kindness and mercy and justice, when we start uh, learning how to give of ourself, of our time and our resources, and we start to love on other people, it shows people a different kind of lifestyle. When we show people uh, that it's okay to, to basically cry and it's okay to, to admit that we're wrong, it shows people, you know what, this is a different way of living. When, when we go through the most difficult times of our lives, when, when a child dies or when we have financial ruin or we lose everything, we show these people that, you know what? No matter what happens, my hope is not based on my house. It's not based on my family. My hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. When we are able to put our hope in that and transcend the circumstances of this world, that is a powerful witness to other people. And they say, I want that. Whatever you have, I want that in my life. And that gives us the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And that's why... Even though we weep for all these things that happen, the choice is really ours. How are we going to live today? Are we going to live as people who, who know Jesus Christ and, and love other people and love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or are we going to just choose to say, you know what, the problem is too big for me? No. We have an opportunity to save lives we have an opportunity to do like Jeremiah did and go forth into the the people and say the things that people don't want to hear, but also to show love and compassion and to preach and teach the good news that Jesus Christ came so that all might live. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word transforms us and it changes us. And, And we thank you so much for your servant, Jeremiah. We knew that he had so much... Uh, to weep about. There were so many things going wrong, but you put him in that specific place and specific time so that he could fulfill a vital ministry. He would uproot and tear down and destroy, uh, and, and it was all to kind of get the field ready so that his people, your people, would be able to experience new life. So, Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the harvest that is before us, and we just ask, Lord, that we will find opportunities to preach and teach the words of Jesus Christ, to bring the good news to all people. We thank you so much for this time, Lord, and we ask that you will empower us to do these things through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.